Hello, and welcome to the UX Hustle podcast. I'm your host, Amanda Worthington. The goal of UX Hustle is to help UX designers design the career they love, maximizing the benefit of this multifaceted industry and strong community. We talk about what's really going on in UX and what it's like working in it and interview people that are actively navigating their careers and UX. We don't expect to have all the answers, but we do keep searching, keep listening, and learning. Because at the end of the day, you are the user of your career. Well, welcome to the UX Hustle podcast, Sarah. I'm so glad to have you on the podcast. Um, Sarah has been my friend in entrepreneurship for like, how long, Sarah? Since 2019? Yeah, June of 2019, we met in Atlanta at Confidence yep. Activated. At Confidence Activated with Rachel Luna. <laughs> yes, yeah. I remember we sat together the very first night we sat next to each other at the VIP dinner. That's right. Mm-hmm. Don't ask oh, me why I remember that so vividly. Um, I can tell you part of why I will never forget that first VIP dinner, Sarah turns and was like, well, I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> I was like, okay. Did, did I say what? that? You did. You did. You're like, I have enough friends. I'm not here for friends. I'm here what? for business. Okay. Oops. Tricked ya. <laughs> I wish I remember saying that or why I said that. If you're at the VIP dinner and you're listening to this, I'm sorry. I want friends. Come back. <laughs> come back. Come back. Maybe come back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Sometimes the things that come out of my mouth and I'm like, did I really just say that? Yeah. Yeah. We're just going to roll with it. She sure yeah. as hell said that. <laughs> well, and, and I think that's a great example though, because Sarah is my boundaries person. She's the voice in my head when I need to set a boundary. And when I say set a boundary, I mean like enforce a boundary probably of saying what I need. And that's mm-hmm. a good example. At that time, in that moment, you said what you needed or what you didn't need. <laughs> I'm just not sure why that was the thing, but yeah. I mean, right. You know, your boundaries for the most part. I think most people do like, oh, that's a boundary for me, but do you stick to it? You know? Yeah. People pleasers need a Sarah in their life. They really do. I do. <laughs> I do. So Sarah, can you tell us a little bit about you and your business and just what you're up to? Yeah. So I'll, I'll give you the spark notes version. So um, I was out of college. I got a psych degree and worked in addictions counseling for, for a little while. And um, I ran, I was actually living in Kansas with my ex-husband and I was running a drug and alcohol education program for young adults absolutely adored the work itself. My students, they were amazing. My clients from any part of that part of my life were just amazing. The thing I struggled with, with my personality and just like my gifts was dealing with the the people and the red tape and the kind of the way it was run, right? Social services. So when I went through my divorce, I switched into fitness I became 100% self-employed after Confidence Activated in 2019. I was running my own, like a traditional personal training business in the gym, you know, meeting with people, blah, blah, blah. And then COVID hit. So that was like, okay, cool. 
we'll, um, we'll have to switch everything to be virtual. And actually in between those two, I had a spinal fusion. So when I had my spinal fusion, that was kind of like, oh, maybe I need a virtual aspect to my business, right? Because I'm about to be out of work for 12 months. Um, but it, I didn't really want to give up the in-person stuff. So COVID forced me into virtual. I ended up building a global fitness platform where we do these live virtual classes. And I deal with, especially with busy working women who don't want the diet culture, right? They want simple, easy to follow workouts, nutrition. They want to be able to eat whatever they want, work out when they can, you know, really fitting it into their lifestyle as opposed to changing their lifestyle. And now what I've been doing is because of that, membership program. I've worked a lot with women who are full-time employees, right? They work some somehow in the corporate space. And with this great resignation that's happening right now, it's like employers are kind of being forced to implement employee wellness initiatives, but it's not necessarily their zone of genius, right? So how do you implement the wellness program effectively so that your employees are actually getting a benefit from it? Because I've seen it from the employee side. So now I've started to work with organizations and corporations on building effective employee wellness initiatives. So I really help them focus on how can we improve the physical and mental well-being of your, of your employees so that you can actually retain them, right? And you will have a little bit more leverage when you're looking to hire because that's something people are looking for when they're hiring. And I'm sure you know this, right? From working with um, designers in their career, it's like, what matters to you? Well, work-life balance, my well-being, I stress management. Do they actually give a shit about me? Right. So yeah, so that's what I'm currently working on. We still do the individual memberships. We are now working with corporations. And when I'm not doing that, I'm at home learning TikTok dances, playing with my cats, riding my horses, you know, twerking on the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I also love hiking. I love like waterfalls and hiking and, you know, things like that. Well, and I think that's so, I love what you said about you know, what's really important to you in your career, Mm -hmm. because that's something I talk with in my group coaching programs with UX portfolio power play. One of the exercises we go through is, you know, what are your career Mm non-negotiables? What's really important to you? And along with non-negotiables, there are negotiables. And that's usually where those employee wellness aspect, the benefits that Mm -hmm. um, an employer is providing to you, they usually end up in that negotiable category of, I don't know, like I think of commutes because like I, when I was looking for a job, it was, you know, how far is it? I really wanted to take MARTA because I love taking public transportation, but I knew that was, you know, not a non-negotiable, right? but it was something that was important to me where I knew to at least put that on my radar mm-hmm. or even, uh, you know, having time off, like I have a non-negotiable amount of time off that I want, but then I have a negotiable, you know, what would more time off look like, or Mm -hmm. what would having flexible hours or flex time during the week to where I have, you know, I don't have to ask permission or take out my PTO to go to a doctor's appointment or, you know, any of those things that come up. And I'm curious how you think of health and wellness, though. Do you think that's a negotiable? I mean, me being me, no, I don't think it's a negotiable at all. Right? I, think, <laughs> I think it needs to be a non-negotiable for the individual employee, 
individual person in general, right? More women, especially women, need to be prioritizing their mental well-being and their physical well-being because we get so lost in service to other people and we feel like we need to give up our well-being to take care of our job, our clients, our family, or whatever. But I think at going into a job, I think it's something where it's like, well, they're paying me a lot. So do I really care if they offer me these wellness initiatives, right? Or maybe the insurance is really good. So we can start to feel like it is a negotiable. Uh, in today's world, though, I don't know. I think it's becoming more of a non-negotiable across the board. Like employees from what I'm learning in my research and my interactions with women in corporate, they want an employer that cares about them and cares about their well-being and they don't want to be burnt out. They don't want to have to work 80 hour weeks with no lunch break and no work-life balance and an employer who doesn't care that they have to get their kids to school or, you know, these types of things that cause a lot of mental stress. And then like, okay, well, we don't care that you're stressed out. <laughs> We're offering you no workshops, no whatever. Right. So I think for the employee, it should be a non-negotiable and for employers, it's getting to the point where employers are now like, okay, wait a minute. We need to be implementing something because employees actually care. And here's the thing about in today's workforce, your employees will leave. They are not afraid to leave a job if you can even get them hired in the first place. So like, at what point is it like, okay, this needs to be a non-negotiable and not just like, oh, well, we're going to offer you a discount on the gym membership. It needs to be something meaningful. It needs to be something that actually leads to results. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that in some ways it still is a negotiable. It shouldn't be though. It should not be. Can, can we talk more about burnout? Heck yeah. Of like, what does that look like? Cause I think that a lot of us have felt burnt out. Mm -hmm. And it's usually at that point of like, I don't know. I, I think of rage quitting. <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, I'm out. Like I can't take this anymore. Or um, and yeah. I've been to that point. Yeah. Like absolutely I've been to that point where I've had to take mental health days to just be like, I need this day off right now. I mm -hmm. need, I need to just not do anything. And I need to get out of yeah. of feeling that way. And usually a day isn't enough. It helps, <laughs> but there's also systems at play of how you get to that point of burnout. Mm -hmm. Well, I think what you just described, right. Is when you're at the peak of your burnout and that's when you're talking about rage quitting or like one day not being enough, right? Because you've hit a boiling point, but you had to be put on the burner at a certain level of heat to get to the boiling point, right? So you've been under that pressure for a while. It's just that now it's finally coming to a point where, you know, it's boiling over. So being able to recognize burnout before it gets to that point is important because when you get in front of it early enough, 10 minutes can make a difference or one day off can make a difference. Or, you know, I mean, you can start to implement these boundaries or these different daily habits. I was actually just talking to someone who has like multiple internships. She's a master's level um, a psychologist and she's got a bunch of really great opportunities going on. And I'm like, where are you making time for yourself? And she's like, oh, well, I have a vacation coming up in May. And I'm like, that's great and wonderful. But you're going to be way burnt out before that even comes, right? We need to be making time for ourselves every single 
day because we are being drained every single day. So what are you doing to recharge? It's like that one week is wonderful, but it's not going to sustain your mental health all the other days, right? It just gives you something to look forward to. And now you're just working and busting your butt and, you know, burning yourself out for that. It's like kind of like this, uh, this end point when it really needs to be an ongoing thing. So being able to recognize burnout looks like getting easily agitated, being super fatigued, physically exhausted, um, easily irritable, right? Kind of goes with the agitation, but those mood swings back and forth or um, not enjoying things that you normally enjoy. So if you normally love your job and all of a sudden you're waking up dreading going, burnout is happening, right? If you can usually deal with people pretty good, but you open your emails and you're automatically irritated because you have emails from someone, you are burning out, right? And it's like, even outside of there, if you um, have kids and you usually love to go outside and kick the soccer ball or play catch or play tag. And you get home from work and you're just so drained and you're like, Ugh, don't even talk to me. I don't want to play with you. You are experiencing burnout. And it's so important to recognize what that looks like. Cause it, it varies person to person, right? So losing interest in things that you normally love the agitation, moodiness, irritability, um, and just things like that. It's real. Oh, the physical exhaustion is a big one. So just really paying attention to that. Pay attention to that burn, those signs of burnout, and then figure out what can you do on a daily basis. Self care that that burnout prevention, the mental well being, the physical well being. It needs to be an everyday thing. And I think that's where we get we get kind of lost. Is like, oh well, you know, one workshop a quarter or one vacation a year. It's like it's not enough. Mm. you know, it's like, that really is not making yourself a priority if it's that infrequent. And I think that's such a good reminder of, of what's in your calendar and what are you actually doing on a regular basis? Mm -hmm. Because that's going to clue you into what you're prioritizing and what you aren't. Yeah. Because sometimes in our heads, Oh, in my head, I do a ton of things <laughs> for myself in my head. You know, I, I do a ton of things, but if I actually look at my calendar, it's like, oh, I thought I was going to do that. I said I was going to do that. And most of my calendar is work stuff yep. and there isn't a lot of downtime. There isn't a lot of even just breaks. Yeah. A 10 minute break in the morning to have your coffee or a 30 minute lunch break. Can we recognize that lunch breaks are required? Employers are required to give you a lunch break. And it's not a lunch break that you work through or you eat at your desk. You are entitled and you are required to be given a lunch break. Take the lunch break, right? Take the lunch break. Take 10 minutes to sit in silence in the morning. Maybe it's only five minutes. It doesn't have to be this grandiose thing. But I think what you're talking about, right, is like in psychology, self-reporting is not reliable almost ever, right? And it's not that we do it on purpose. It's not like we're lying. It's just that it just doesn't work for humans, right? So it's important to collect that data. And you know, I know you're very like research-minded. Take a look at your calendar once a month and see like how much free time is actually on it. How many days a week are you actually working through lunch? Because your self-reporting might be like, oh, I do things for myself, right? But then the data is like, but are you? 
right? And like, yes, you do things for yourself, but it's infrequent, it's inconsistent, right? It's not really a top priority when you look at it. If you are not okay with blank spaces in your calendar, you are self-sabotaging yourself by overworking. Mm. Note to self. <laughs> yeah, seriously, seriously. And immediately, you know what? You know what excuse immediately came up was like, but Sarah, if it's a blank space, someone can just like slide something in there um, and Block overbook it me. Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, I should just have another calendar, or another color that blocks that off for me so that that doesn't happen. I think this is where we learn to work with our brains as opposed to against our brains. If you know that you are an overworker and you don't like blank spaces on your calendar, walk it off, right? Here's self-care time. Here's admin time. Here's sit on the couch and watch Netflix time. It's on the schedule. The schedule's not blank. It's a, it's a purposeful, well-planned, balancing my mental health with what I need to do for work because we need to recognize that when we do that when we prioritize the mental and physical well-being yes it's about how you feel in your health but if you want to look at it in terms of your career it makes you more productive it makes you better at what you do right if you can rest yourself come back to work the next day more productive with a better mood more energy ready to go right? You're going to be more pleasant to work with from your coworkers standpoint. You're going to make your bosses happier. You're more likely to lead to the promotion, the raise, the whatever, because you created this space for yourself to take care of yourself. If you are burnt out and miserable, imagine this, right? You go into work, you hate being there. Everyone knows you hate being there, whether it's virtual or in person, they know, right? They know that you don't want to be there. Your productivity goes down, your energy goes down. It's just not really enjoyable to deal with you. And it's, you know, it is what it is. <laughs> but if you could just take that time to reset yourself, the other people around you have such a better experience with you, but then you also have a better experience with your job. And then if you have a goal to climb that ladder, to get the next promotion, to make more money, to be in the C-suite, whatever it is, you're much more likely to do it if the people around you like working with you. <laughs> you know, and let's be real when you're burnout. No, no one's fun when they're burnout. No, you, you can try, but you're not. <laughs> well, and your capacity is only so much. Exactly. Like you can only reach a certain amount of pleasantness <laughs> of energy that it requires for you to get to that point. Yes. Whereas when you are taking care of yourself, you have more capacity. Like that just expands your mm -hmm. ability to, you know, be more yourself, um, respond more, uh, calmly right. to situations. And I think for us as user experience designers, it helps us create better products. Mm. It helps us yep. design 100%. better solutions. It helps us go into user interviews, clear headed. It helps us look at data and information and insights that we're gathering in a clearer way. Yeah. And this is, it's important for the designers and the, the people implementing, right? Because you want to be good at what you're doing. One, it makes it easier. And two, it just is an overall better experience, right? But from the employer standpoint, if the employers realize that that's what's happening for you when you are well rested, your stress is under control, you're not burning out as easily or as quickly, 
then it's like, oh, wait a minute. We actually do want to be implementing things that actually work and that people actually take advantage of and actually benefit from. Because at the end of the day, right, employers want to make money and they want productive employees. And that's totally fine. They're allowed to want to do that. So start taking care of them, right? It's like, if we can just all take a step back, work one hour less a day, come back tomorrow with a clear head, we're actually getting a lot more done the next day, as opposed to while everyone's required to work a 27 hour day and just, you know, push through and suck it up. You're on salary. We own you. Well, and I think that's a really great point because, you know, initially I was thinking, you know, there's a part of my brain that's like, okay, but I need to be doing this stuff for myself regardless. Mm -hmm. And like, what's the benefit of an employer implementing some of these things or putting it into their culture? I don't don't even, I don't even like saying that of like workplace (laughs) culture sounds so buzzwordy and like annoying, honestly. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I mean, it is what it is, but I understand. But like, but the truth of it is the workplace environment does influence you the environment that you're in. Well, and it's the environment that you're in most of the day, right? So yes, it is my job to take care of myself, right? That is the individual's job. But as the employer, we need to recognize that our employees, our team spend more time at work than they do awake at home with their families. So it does become a responsibility to put self-care time into the workspace because that's where we spend most of our waking hours, Right. And it's like if you work eight to six or whatever time the normal time is these days, right? If you work eight to six, it's like you wake up, you get ready, go to work. Some people are waking up right before they log on to work or before they get in the car. Not everyone wants to wake up before five to give themselves self care time in the morning. Some people like that and some people don't, or maybe they have families, right? So there's different restrictions. Um, And then at the end of the day, by 6 p.m., in the winter time, it's dark, right? It's like, you still have to go home, get yourself changed, cook yourself dinner. If you have family, take care of them, do this, 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 this. And then next thing you know, you're in bed, you wake up to do it the next day. So it's like, yeah, it's my responsibility to take care of myself. And it's my responsibility to look at how I make my schedule and how I prioritize my time and time management, blah, 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 blah. But it's just a simple fact that most of our day is spent at work. So it is important for the employer to also provide some of that time, like whether it's, you know, a half an hour yoga class when everyone arrives in the morning, or if it's a workshop once a quarter during work hours, right? Because it's like, that's where we spend most of our day. I think that the obligation is kind of equal because employers also need to recognize that if you don't do it, people are leaving their jobs to take better care of themselves. They're saying, okay, I don't have time to take care of myself because I spend so much time at work. I have a client who works for a very large company. She literally works from six, seven in the morning to like 11 at night because people just break her boundary, put themselves on her calendar. Everything is urgent from six o'clock in the morning to 11 o'clock at night. What time would you like her to manage outside of that? There is no personal time for her to even manage, right? So it's like some people in younger generations will leave a job in order to create more time in their schedule because that's really the only option. Well, they feel like that's the only option unless the employer says we're going to do things for you during the work time. So that takes something off your plate outside of work time, right? 
Right. Right. It's just the way that the, the way the workforce is kind of changing and employees, I think employers need to realize this is, and UX designers need to recognize this too, is that it's becoming more important. Right. And now the employees, the, the workforce kind of have more of a say because they're like, listen, we're not putting up with this either. We're not going to come to work for you at all, or we're going to quit. Where before, like I know my mom's generation, my dad's generation, I was always taught, just suck it up. That's just how it is. You don't like the way your boss treats you, tough shit. You know, it just is what it is. They pay you, they give you health benefits, shut up. And my parents are very like, you know, speak your mind. And my parents are very, very amazing that way. But that was one thing about working in corporate. They were like, Sarah, deal with it. Not anymore. We don't do that, right? I know I did it. So I ended up here. (laughs) That's how I ended up here. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I I think that, I think there's also something in that of where tech and software companies have changed that too. Like Mm -hmm. where, you know, you look at the whole Google complex (laughs) of, you know, all those services and life things that they've incorporated into that experience mm-hmm. of having uh, a daycare on site, having mm-hmm. uh, they have a doggy daycare on site and, and things like that, that we're always meant to support mm-hmm. employees. Now, can it go the extreme? If you've read the book circle, like I have, or seen the movie of where people don't leave because everything is there and things get super integrated where most becomes a cult. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And, and so it's giving people that freedom. And I've been thinking about this a lot. Um, as people are talking about going back to work, going back to in-person into the office, potentially of, you know, what does that look like? And the people that want to get back to the office, the people that don't want to get back to the office and how do we create places, create environments where people get to choose what is the best way that works for me? Cause for mm-hmm. some people like all that integration, they're like, no, like I want my boundaries. I want my clear compartmentalize mm-hmm. when I go to work, I'm at work when I'm at home, I'm at home. And that's great. Other people want that integration, want to be that fluidity of, you know, I have a light Saturday and, you know, like I went on a walk Saturday morning and something pops in my head work related. And you know what? I want to take action on that. Mm-hmm. And I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. But because I took that opportunity to do that, I also want the ability to like not show up as early on Monday or, you know, I want that flexibility. And and for the first person in that example, it's like, heck no. (laughs) And I'm like out and about. If something work-related pops into my head, I whack it like a -a (laughs) whack-a-mole. So so, I'm not remembering it. And I think it's, you know, how do we do that for different people? And how do we know that about ourselves Mm -hmm. to be able to accommodate that, but also as employers setting up these systems so that people can really leverage and utilize them? 
Well, yeah, you have to remember that people are different, right? So it's like, put these things into place for the people who will use them, which most people will utilize them to some degree. And then there's always the option if that doesn't work for me and that's not really what I need right now, I'm just not gonna use it. So it's kind of like this approach of take what you need and leave what you don't. But it's much better to have, um, an employee say, well, that's not a good fit for me right now. I'm not going to use that as opposed to, I really could use someone who gives a crap about me right now. And there's no one, right. I could really use someone to talk to, or I could really just use a 10 minute break to stretch, but I'm not allowed to do that. Right. Or I have to pretend like I'm working by playing with my mouse so that no one knows I'm taking a 10 minute break. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I just saw this viral TikTok. The girl said she needed a mental break from work. So she puts peanut butter on her mouse, puts the mouse on the ground, and then the dog is licking it, and the mouse is, like, traveling around the floor, so it makes it look like she's working, (laughs) and it is funny, it's lighthearted, but, like, at the end of the day, is it really actually that funny, because you should be able to say, listen, I need to take 10 minutes, you know, and, and things like that, there's a balance, of course, right, there's also something about, like, trusting the people that we work with, Mm-hmm. to be able to take care of themselves and do what they need to do without mm-hmm. it being like, this is going to impact like productivity yeah. and like all this stuff where it's, if we were able to, for ourselves to set those boundaries, to set mm-hmm. those slack statuses of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm taking, I'm going on a walk. I'm going to do this thing. And I think that's another area where individuals have a lot more power to influence other people as well. Cause if mm-hmm. you start doing that of saying, Oh, I'm going for a walk. I'll be back online in 20 minutes. Other people will see that and it gives them permission to do the same thing. Right. And as you're doing it and able to show that that doesn't impact your overall productivity, that doesn't mean that you're over utilizing that freedom. Right. And that you're just, you're doing the things you say you're going to do. Like you come back in 20 minutes. <laughs> right. And at the end of the day, is it getting done? Right. We want to talk specifically about tech and things like that. It's like, what for a UX designer who's working in the office, they're not client facing. They're saying, okay, here's this big project that we need done by April 1st. Um, are we making progress towards the goal of April 1st? Can we see black and white that this progress is being made as long as there's progress being made deadlines are being met now it's a little different if you're dealing with like a front desk secretary right who is needs to be at the desk as clients are coming in that's a different story now it's her mental health is still important too it just looks a little different for tech companies and this is what i love about tech companies is they really have been kind of blazing the path for employee wellness i just think there's still a lot of room for growth and it's now time to audit because all of them have stuff in place, right? But now it's time to audit. Is it effective? How can we improve it? What's working and what's not? Um, But it's like, if you're kind of questioning it, just look at, is the employee still getting what they need done, right? If they're taking 20 minute breaks every 30 minutes, okay, different conversation. (laughs) But there needs to be trust in the workplace that most people are not going to take advantage of that kind of stuff. Because most employees want to do their job well, right? Most employees want to have some kind of job security by like, oh, wait a minute, I want to be good at this, especially UX designers. They went through school because this is what they want to be doing. They went through boot camp because this is what they want to be doing. They want to be good at it. 
So most of them are probably not going to be taking a 20 minute break every 30 minutes. That's far <laughs> few in between. You know what I mean? You're going to see that not only are they still getting stuff done, but it's probably going to be getting, getting done a lot better. Ooh. And just like to touch on that piece, because I think with design, it's so interesting where yes, there are deadlines, but it's also so hard to gauge progress mm. towards a deadline because Until it's, it's not actually there. As, well, right. It's not as simple as like checking off the box because there's a lot of, uh, like creative design work, creative problem solving where you don't have a lot to show for it sometimes, yeah. which it can be so frustrating. Right. But also, I think that's where taking those breaks, having that white space for yourself is so important because that's where you actually make the progress of like there's, there's this magic in design where it's like you're working and working and working and trying to figure out the problem. And then you'll go on a walk and in the background, your brain's still working Mm -hmm. and finding the connections between things that you were just too close to the problem to see. And then when you come back, you're like, oh, I see it now. (laughs) And you can put it together. And then that's the difference between something existing something not existing and it existing. This literally just happened to me. Like last week I was like, oh my God, I have no ideas for this. I don't know anyone's, I was kind of trying to come up with a list of, I think like five people for a new project. And I'm like, I don't know anyone. And I was like kind of freaking out. Right. And I'm sitting here trying to write this stupid list, which should take 30 seconds. And I'm like, screw it. I think I took two days before I came back to it. And next thing I knew I had like 40 people on the list. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So there is a lot to be said there. I think designers also need to become comfortable with asking, right? Like if you need to take a break, ask for it. If you feel like there's something you need for your mental or physical well-being, ask for it. And it's always like, obviously your personal life and your personal health matters, but it's like, Hey, I'm a little too close to this project. I feel like right now, what I really need to get my creative juices going again, is just to take a step away. I'm just going to go for a walk or whatever. I'm just going to step away from this project for a minute, you know, being open in your communication about what you need and kind of the reasoning behind why you're doing what you're doing, as opposed to just disappearing for a day, not working on something for a day and your, your employer, or your manager is like, what are you doing? Right. But if you're like, Hey, I think what I really need right now to make this the best is just take a step back for a second. You know, I'm a little too close to it. I'm hitting a block a little bit. So I just need to kind of, you know, hit refresh, come back the next day. And to your point, it is kind of hard, right, to track progress. But that's true whether employees are taking breaks or not. Right. It's it's true anyway. So it's like if we can't really track it anyway who really cares if we can't track it while they're taking breaks or doing whatever they work on Saturday, come in late on Monday. You know what I mean? It's over time. Has this person been meeting their deadlines and what's the quality of their work? So it might take a few months to collect that data. Um, But I think also as the employer, the designer, you guys are very research-based as a community, as a, as a population, collect your own data. Mm-hmm. collect your own data, keep a, like a, a record or a journal and say like, I did this today and this is what happened the next day. Or here's kind of my journey of prioritizing myself more. And then here's what I noticed in my projects. Wow. That was so much easier. I'm so much more proud of that. I did it quicker. And you can speak to your own experience and then share that 
and say, Hey, listen, you know, thank you so much for letting me take a 20 minute walk. Here's my experience of what happened because of that walk. And here's how I felt about the project this time versus last time. And you keep your own data, right? If If they say, Hey, you're coming in late every single Monday, you can say yes. But I was working on Saturday because I felt inspired. And I got this project done early. And this project is so much better than it would have been if I would have just blah, blah, blah. keep your own data, be your own advocate, 100%. So Sarah, I haven't told you this because it just happened yesterday, but I'm actually <laughs> building something like this. Oh, for, yeah. For your okay. career. Um, I love this. Being track of these kinds of things. And I hadn't mm-hmm. incorporated the mental and physical wellness aspect to it. And I think that's such a great addition Mm -hmm. of showing the impact that that can have on your projects, on your work and on even just how, how you see your work. Yeah. And so I'm definitely going to add that. I love that because I'm not surprised at all. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not surprised. I think there definitely is a benefit to adding the mental and physical wellness. So like, what did I do today for my physical and mental wellness? And we can see over time, the effects of that today, I did this today. I did this. And then it's like in a week from now, we had this major breakthrough. It's not a coincidence, right? Uh, Or today I meditated for five minutes or this week I did it every day or whatever it is. Um, And then being able to share that with employers. And that's actually kind of where I come in, right? I am, I'm often that middle person because this is something I've been talking about, um, like high level executives with a talking to them about, good Lord, over the, about the, about uh, the last week, employees are not very honest and not on purpose, but they're sugarcoating their feedback to their employers, obviously, right? Of course they are. So to have someone like me come in and say, wow, I watched Amanda do this, this, and this, and here was her experience. And here is how we're seeing these effects of these things. So I can kind of come in and provide that feedback to the employers where the employees are like, okay, it's confident, it's anonymous, it's not coming from me, right? And the employers are actually getting an accurate depiction of what's happening. And when you can keep your own track like that, your own journal like that, you're now advocating for yourself saying, I am good at what I do. And I deserve this, this mental, physical wellness time, the, the self-care time, because look at what it did for me, which is what it did for you as a company. Um, and then you can also turn around and say, I want a promotion and I want a better job because I'm good at what I do. <laughs> yes. And having the evidence for, for that confidence. Yes. Because I was, I was talking to someone about this yesterday of there are times when our understanding of ourselves and how great we are and what other people know and see about us are far apart. Mm-hmm. And then there are times when that aligns where we see ourselves the way other people see us. And that's awesome. Of yeah. in a lot of cases, that's awesome. Of I'm uh, my harshest critic. And then when I hear and see other people the way or see myself the way other people see me, mm-hmm. it's like, and I get a glimpse of that. It's awesome. And it's hard to do that for ourselves. But if we Absolutely. have evidence that we've stacked up that we can look at that supports that, have that, you know, wins folder of all the nice things people say about you and go back to that to remember who the heck you are. Yeah. Well, it's so much much easier for other people to see us for what we are, right? And a lot of people struggle with confidence in general. That's pretty safe to say, right? 
But when you're looking at like trying to go for promotion or ask for more money or, you know, negotiating a new job as you're getting hired, like you have to have confidence to do those things. You could ask without the confidence, but they're automatically going to be like, we can just say no and they're going to take it. Right. Like that confidence is so important. You have to see yourself for what you really are. And it's like, see yourself through your mother's eyes, right? If you have a good relationship with your mom, how does she see you? Or if you don't have a good relationship with your mom and you have a dog, like how does your dog view you? Start viewing yourself the way your dog views you. That will boost your confidence hands down. Like, how does my cat see me? You know, my cat thinks I'm the queen of the world. Perfect. <laughs> that's what, that's the kind of confidence I need. Right. But it's like, we, we go back to mental and physical well-being. How in the world do you expect to build confidence in yourself if you are not taking care of yourself? I mean, it's, it's virtually impossible, right? It's really hard to have a true deep level of self-esteem, confidence, and all these things. If you're not taking care of your stress management, your burnout, your physical well-being, you know, being mindful of what you're shoving in your mouth, all those things play a role, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that it just kind of is this, I don't know if it's like a snowball effect or a cycle, but it's like one thing leads to another and they're all connected, right? They're all connected. If you really want to show up in true confidence, you have to start with the physical and mental well-being, right? Then you have to take it up a notch and really look at like, okay, why am I so great? Why am I so wonderful? And then the next step is like actually showing up that way. But you can't show up that way if you don't do the other two things. Mm. And it sounds like like what you were saying about what you're providing for employers. I think, y'all, I think Sarah is a UX researcher. Maybe. Like, I think that's exactly what she's doing. She's doing field research. She's doing mm -hmm. a field study on us. <laughs> In the our user experience of the wellness programs. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's super interesting because, I mean, that's why we do field studies is mm -hmm. because people, the self-reporting is inaccurate and there's biases in that and mm -hmm. having an external perspective, especially someone who then has the skills and knowledge and tools to be able to solve those problems that they find mm -hmm. is incredibly beneficial. Yeah. And so can you talk a little bit about what does make an effective health and wellness program? This is a really good question because just over the course of talking to people, I've been learning that a lot of employers, like we've said, right? A lot of employers are like, okay, we're putting in place wellness initiatives. The biggest thing, the biggest gap, I should say, in these programs is the utilization and the effectiveness in terms of like, are they actually seeing physical and mental results, right? So how do we create an, a, a program that they'll actually use? One. We can't be doing cookie cutter stuff. The workforce is made up of a bunch of individuals who need different things. So how do we take one general program, but customize it and teach people who need different things or learn different ways or have different, you know, uh, mental health concerns? How do we cater it to them? in a way that makes sense for the company, right? We're not going to be doing like a whole bunch of like personal one-on-one -on -one things for every single person, but we can take this general idea and say, here's how to use it. The other thing is um, giving resources with no kind of support or coaching. Your employees don't know what to do with it, right? You're like, oh, well, here's a discount on your gym membership. 
cool. I paid for the gym membership, but I'm not showing up. Or if I do, I have no idea what I'm doing. Right. So it's like, I'm, I'm getting the gym membership for a discount, but I'm not actually seeing the benefits of going to the gym because I have no support. Once I get there, I don't know how often to go. I don't know what to do when I get there or I'm intimidated or whatever. Right. So I think that a lot of what I'm seeing is we need to be implementing more support. There needs to be someone saying, here's how to use the resources we're giving you. And then walking your employees through the process because employees want to use it, right? But they're like, they don't know where to start. They don't know how to use it properly. Uh, they don't know how to make it make sense for what they need. The other thing I'm seeing a lot of, if it's, if it's difficult to use, your employees aren't going to touch it. If you get a gym membership um, discount for your employees, but they have to drive 45 minutes to the gym, they're not going to use it. If you have an app that's not user-friendly, your employees aren't going to use it. It needs to be easy to use. They need to have some kind of live guidance and support for someone to say, here's how to do it, <laughs> right? And I think that's really the biggest thing I'm seeing right now is probably those two things. It's not just like, here's these resources or we'll reimburse you at the end of the year for 10% of what you're actually spending. That's nice and it's a good start. It's not the most effective thing you could be doing. Mm. And I think that support piece is so important. It really is somewhat like I am a very verbal person. Like I need to verbally work through things with someone. And I also have ADHD. So if you just throw at me 30 different resources, I'm like, okay, well now I'm completely overwhelmed. I'm not really sure where to start. I'm just going to not use any of it because it's way easier for me to just ignore it. But if I can verbally work through some with someone, like here's what my goals are. Here's what I need as an individual person. Where do I start? What do I use? What do you need me to show up for? A lot of people are like, you know what? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Especially in the wellness space. It's not, if it's not their zone of genius, they don't want to learn how to make their way through that world. They want you to tell them what to do, where to show up and how to do it. A lot of employers are not doing that. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? They're saying, they're just throwing a bunch of resources onto an app, onto a website, whatever. And then there's no consulting or coaching or ongoing support. And I actually think this is something that should be an onboarding process, right? Have someone come in in the onboarding process and say, here's how to use all the things that we have in place. Here's what we have in place. And if you can get in front of them in those first 90 days, they're much more likely to be successful. Absolutely. And I think there's also something in there about the environment that that creates. Mm-hmm. And having like a self-supporting environment, like a, a reinforcing environment where people are talking about that or utilizing it. And it's part of, and I think onboarding is a great example of that, of, you know, what are the things that are important to us as a company that we want to make sure people, new people coming into the organization understand mm-hmm. are set up for success and that it's important enough for us to take the time to do that. Yeah. Especially if you, the whole reason we put into place employee wellness, uh, wellness initiatives is because we want to see the return on investment, right? If you're going to put out all this money for all these things, workshops, co- whatever it is, right? If you're putting out all this money, you want to see the return on investment. 
the statistics on the ROI for employee wellness initiatives are based on effective wellness programs. If you are putting in place a wellness program that your employees are not even using or that they're not seeing results from, right, because it's hard to use, it's overwhelming, they don't know what to do, there's no ROI to be had, right? Now you're just spending money or just throwing spaghetti at the wall. And I was actually reading a few articles and about, you know, corporate wellness programs are a waste of money. Well, okay. Only if you're not taking time to make it effective, right? Of course, it's a waste of money if no one's using it. Right. But then it's, that, that makes it your job as leadership, C-suite, executives, whatever, to implement something that actually works and make audits and adjustments based on, you know, we're going to try this. Is it effective? Are employees actually using it? Are they seeing their stress going down? Are they seeing, you know, these types of things? Just doing it is not, is not going to work. It has to be effective. So I think that's, it, that's been really interesting conversations that I've been having, right? They want me to come in and figure out exactly what's working and what's not, what's being utilized. How can I support the employees and say, okay, Here's this big overall resource library of things they want to provide to you. Let's figure out exactly which ones you're going to use. And then I also get that feedback in real life of like, well, it's not user-friendly, so they don't want to do it. Or they have to travel 45 minutes to take advantage of this. Or they feel like they did the workshop and it was like not really that great. You know, things like that. These are important things to know. That's kind Absolutely. of my, yeah, that's kind of my take on it, right? If it's not effective, you might as well not even be doing it, but we've already determined from early in this conversation that that's not an option. So, <laughs> you know, that's not an option, not so make it a, right. Do an audit, make it better. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's so interesting of like so much of what you're talking about. If any other UX designers ears are perking up the way mine are, I'm like, oh, she's testing, she's measuring, she's like has a goal in mind of, you know, what makes us successful and what, what's success and failure look like. Mm-hmm. And so many things we don't define that from the beginning. And so we don't know what we're looking for mm-hmm. when we're testing to be able to say, oh, that didn't work. <laughs> or yes, that did work. Okay, great. What does that mean? What do we do next? Yep. And I love what you said about it not being cookie cutter, because I'm all about things not being cookie cutter, um, especially when it comes to individuals and their careers mm-hmm. and, you know, what, what works for different people in yeah. different environments. Like we all have, I think that's something that the pandemic and working from home really helped us all see was, mm-hmm. oh, like you have three kids at home and it's like, wow, right. <laughs> that's like a whole thing. <laughs> And like, sometimes we just live in our own world a little bit and forget Mm -hmm. that other people have different experiences, different work lives, different personal lives, and how those things all play together, that it doesn't make sense to have, you know, a blanket, this should work for everybody, or this should check everybody's, like most of people's boxes that they need. Right. And we're all very different and have different goals and different realities that we're working with. And I think like, this is something we've dealt with, with the Gumfit Squad, right? The membership program that I run is, it is one program. 
it, it's this one thing, but it serves so many different types of women because how you use those resources varies person to person. So it's, yes, it's workout classes and it's group coaching calls, right? It's very simple in terms of deliverables, but are you taking more dance fitness classes? Are you doing more yoga? Are you doing strength training? How many classes a week are you taking? The classes you do uh, cohesively as a whole, like figuring out how do we take these a hundred resources and there's different combinations of what you'll do with those things based on the individual. So now it's not too much of a burden on the company, but it's also much simpler for their employee to use to say, okay, I'm very overwhelmed by this being a hundred different things, but here's the three things out of these a hundred things that I need to focus on as an individual. Right. And I, it's funny, I was talking to a manager of a company that has multiple branches, right. And the headquarters is in X town, but not all the branches obviously are in the same town. So when they do uh, employee wellness things, everything is at headquarters. Doesn't seem that bad. It's maybe a 30, 45 minute drive. They have to now drive, which is just a pain in the ass. It's during work hours, but they're understaffed. So who's going to run the office that they're at if they're going to go to headquarters for a workshop? Right. And then if they go to headquarters for the workshop, now they're completely behind in their work. It's just not accessible. So like, oh, well, we do a workshop, you know, every single month and we have a gym here that you can use. Okay, cool. It's not accessible. It makes no sense for anyone outside of that location to use what you're implementing. Mm -hmm. Right. So now it's like out of a team of seven over here in this location, one person is excited about what you're doing. That's not a good statistic. That's not a good conversion rate, right? So it's like, this is important to know. Yes, you're putting all these things in place and you can say, oh, we offer these, you know, we care about your mental well-being, which is probably true, but it's not accessible to anyone outside of this location. Mm, you know, and you're talking about the workforce being remote. Okay, so how do we offer a remote option, right? Or even if they do work in person, and they're close enough technically to drive, like we just said, maybe it's not plausible for them to leave during work hours when they're understaffed and they still need to be open. So maybe they can just real quick take a 30 minute, like half the team is in the office watching a virtual version of it. And then they could switch or something like that. There needs to be a more accessible option. Mm -hmm. You know, that's absolutely true. That's really interesting too. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious about as you continue to get this information, like following up with what you're finding mm -hmm. and especially like just that observational research. I'm super curious to see all the things that you find and the creative solutions that you come up with. I'm excited um, because I, it's so easy for me to talk to people and get people to be open with me, especially if they know that, like, I'm not going to say Amanda told me this, <laughs> right? It's like being able to offer that feedback is something that I wasn't really planning on going into this adventure. But as I've been talking to people, it's like, oh, wait a minute, that's a big piece of it, right? Because 
oh, we talked about tech. A lot of tech companies have wellness things in place. I'm not going to come in here and convince you that you need a wellness program because you already have one. Let's figure out how to optimize it, make it better to where you have a better ROI. Your employees are happier, right? And they're, they're using it more and they're actually seeing results from all these things you're spending all this money on, right? Because it is a huge deal that you're spending money on. That's a great first step for an employer. And as an employee, when we go back to negotiables and non-negotiables, I really do think you should prioritize companies that have these things in place. It's like they're showing at least some initiative, some level of caring, right? It may not be to where we want it to be just yet, but they're showing the right direction. And I think that's important. Um, so now it's just like, okay, especially in the tech space, most companies already have it. So now let's just make it better. And that kind of, that's exciting for me because it's like I get to improve the employee's life and the company's overall output by just being like, hey, are you using it? Is it working? And how can we make it better? Uh, Sarah, this makes me so happy. <laughs> like, so, cause Sarah and I have talked about this for a while now mm-hmm. and we've worked together for a really long time. And to see and hear you talk about this is so cool. And I can just see the impact that you're already having. And just seeing that magnified in this way and in this space mm-hmm. and the approach that you're taking, I'm like a little piece of me is like, Amanda, I think you like influence Sarah <laughs> just a little bit. I'm like, <laughs> and like all our talk about user experience over the years, I'm like, she's talking about user experience. <laughs> Next thing you know, I'm going to be like in the user experience mastermind, like guys, I'm a UX person now too. <laughs> I'm going to have an identity crisis soon. Just call me a UX person, not I designer. What would be the other? I mean, you're, you're, a, you're, I mean, you're doing user research for sure. I am right. I never actually, I did not think of it that way until this conversation. I'm thinking like a liaison, but it's almost like a UX liaison. (laughs) I'm going to come up with some kind of fun title for it, but the people are going to start thinking I don't design apps or something. (laughs) Oh, it's so good though. I really like it because the work, the workforce is changing across industries. You know what I mean? And there's such a disconnect between employees and their employers. How do we, how do we bridge it? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And you're going to do it. I'm so excited to hear all about it and be on and part of this journey with you. Yeah. It's, that's what's so great. Like having friends, <laughs> this is going to be wonderful. a profound statement. <laughs> having friends is great. <laughs> Go get some. Go get some. Yeah. And that's, and you know, I, I think I've said this before. That's why I love having this podcast is just to have the awesome conversations with my friends and Mm -hmm. share it with other people. And I have one final question for you. Yes. Yes. Okay. So you're on an elevator. Okay. Picture it in an elevator Mm -hmm. and someone comes on. It's a user experience designer. You can just Mm tell. And they turn and ask you, how can I be happy in my career? What do you tell them? Ooh. How do I be happy in my career? I think finding the balance of what you're good at and what you enjoy is important, but also like me being me, I'm going to take it here. Maintaining those boundaries is super important because think about like, I have thought about 
my, my time in addictions counseling. That's all I wanted to do as a kid. Like I knew from the time I was 14 that that's what I was going to do. I went into college. I only took psych classes. I got my internship and said, only send me to addictions places. I don't want any other internship. Got hired before I even graduated. Like that was it for me. I was so passionate about it. And I was so dead set on that's what I wanted to do. And what destroyed my happiness was the the lack of boundaries with other people that I worked with um, and just allowing them to kind of dictate things or to control the narrative. Now, of course, you know, I was a low level employee. The higher ups are obviously going to control narratives, but it's like when there's constant boundaries being broken, it's like learning to advocate for yourself in a, in a productive way, right? Advocate for yourself and your boundaries in a productive way and speak up for yourself in a way that is respectful because if you're respectful about it, people are more likely to listen to you, right? I and mean, you can be more respectful by learning about your trauma responses and learning about your own insecurities and things that can be projected when you're having these conversations, becoming very self-aware, emotionally intelligent with other people. But that all comes back to mental well-being. And you have to manage your stress. You have to give yourself that self-care time because I think that's what destroys happiness in careers. The job itself doesn't really change. It's all the other stuff revolving around it. It's the people you work with. It's the working too many hours. It's the burning yourself out. That's what destroys your happiness. If you're doing something that you know you're good at and you know you're passionate about, you don't lose the happiness because the job changed or because your interest in it changed or because you're no longer good at it. That's not it. It's all these other things that tend to destroy our happiness. And that's what we have to manage. We have to manage how much we allow people into our energetic space, how often we allow them to break our boundaries, how we address these things with other people, right? And how we, you know, manage these things. Um, I'm going to leave it at that because I think that's, the, that's really the biggest thing. It's not the job itself. It's not the career itself. It's everything that revolves around it. That's beautiful and a great reminder. And this is why Sarah is my boundary queen. So, <laughs> so you can borrow her anytime you want. If yes. you're like, I need to enforce my boundaries, <laughs> just be like, what would Sarah do? That's what I do. And I'm like, Sarah would cancel this meeting. <laughs> yes, I love that. I didn't do it. Sarah did it. She's my, she's my alter ego. <laughs> for canceling I, have, things. I have so many clients who are like, I hear you in my head when I'm doing this. And I'm like, good. Like I haunt you in the best way possible. Um, but I think that a lot of people automatically assume they can't set boundaries in the workplace. And that's not a conversation I have with clients a lot, right? You can set boundaries. Now, of course, you're not 100% free to set any boundary you want because you are an employee. So, okay. But you are allowed and you are entitled to setting certain boundaries. And I think as employers for the uh, leadership who are listening to this, we need to be okay with employees setting boundaries and there needs to be a balance of what works for the company and what doesn't. But like, if, if I say, okay, I'm taking the day off. I'm not answering my phone because I'm on PTO time. Okay. That is a boundary. I am a 100% allowed to set. If I work eight to six, I don't have to stay until seven. I have kids I have to pick up from school. I have other things going on. If you ask me to be in the office until six, I need to leave at six Oh five because I have other commitments. There are these different things, right, that we can set into place. And it's, it looks different for everyone. It depends on your industry. It depends on your role. It depends on, you know, the company you work for. 
But I think there's, there's this story that we've created for ourselves as, as employees that we're not allowed to set boundaries, that we, they pay us. And because they pay us, they own us and they get to decide. It's not, it's well, just not true. It also doesn't have to be like, the first step isn't like, this is what I'm doing. The first step is having a conversation usually. Yeah. Just like bringing awareness to it. And probably 100%. the first step is bringing awareness to it for yourself of recognizing right. what you need. Being able to recognize what you need, being able to clearly communicate why you want to set this boundary in place and why you're struggling with this happening, why you feel like a boundary even needs to be there. And I think effective communication and a high level of self-awareness is the key to anything. Like I am not the queen of, you know, sunshine and rainbows and everyone's going to have a pleasant, you know, interaction with me. I'm not easygoing. Okay. I'm not agreeable. I know that, but two things I'm very, very good at is I'm very self-aware. You will probably not meet too many people that are more self-aware than I am. And I can very clearly articulate how I'm feeling and why, and what needs to happen. Now it's not to say every interaction is going to be pleasant, but having those two things makes it much easier to come to a conclusion, to find a solution that works for both people, right? It's like, stay calm, have a conversation back and forth, not projecting insecurities onto someone or not personalizing what they're giving you as feedback is important, right? When someone who works for me gives me feedback on like, um, I really didn't like how you did this, or this is really not working for me. It's not personal. If I take it personal, my response to them is going to be emotion fueled and it's not going to work. If we have clear communication and good self-awareness on both ends, that even the most difficult conversations are going to end well. Wow. <laughs> We're done. <laughs> that was, that was a whole word. <laughs> and Why was I not recording that over here? I'll send it to you. We can make it a TikTok. <laughs> Um, so where can everybody find you so that they can continue to have you as a voice in their head and connect with you? I think the best place to connect with me is I would say actually go the easiest thing, go to my website, gem-fitness.com is the main website we have right now. And all of my socials are linked to that. Um, but you can find me Instagram, TikTok, LinkedIn. And I know all you UX people are on LinkedIn. So find me on LinkedIn, Sarah Gemmel. <laughs> You won't find her on Twitter yet. So yeah, not Twitter. Um, we're having conversations about that. Yeah. <laughs> and Maybe by the time this is published, I'll have a Twitter. Exactly. Is there anything else that you want to tell people? Oh, yes. So I, I almost forgot about this. Um, if you text me, I'm going to give you my phone number in a second, but text me the word consult, nothing else, just one simple word consult, C-O-N-S-U-L-T whether you are an employer or an employee for this podcast, I'm offering just free uh, wellness plans, right? So figuring out exactly what you need to do to better manage your stress. If you're the individual, better manage your stress, get yourself in check physically, get your mental wellness up, right? Making that self-care a priority in a way that's really easy to follow and simple. Or if you're the employer and you want to talk about what it looks like to audit your current wellness program or implement a more effective wellness program, I am also offering consults for employers as well. But if you just text me the keyword consult, we can get you set up. It's completely free. We can just have a very open conversation about what you need to be successful, whether you're an individual or an organization. I'll make sure that you're in the in the place that you need to be. But my phone number uh, is 610 610- 
427-2611. And Amanda will put it in the show notes too, I'm sure. But um, just yes. text me and we can just have an open conversation and what it looks like to just make a plan, right? What do we need to move forward to make these goals happen? Awesome. That's yeah. And that's a great opportunity because Sarah's really good at what she does. Thank and you. she's going to set you up for success so that you can avoid burnout. You can set your boundaries mm-hmm. and really ultimately, you know, do your job better, right? more happily, more joyfully and, and show up for your family better. Mm-hmm. Um, if you found this episode helpful and you immediately are thinking of colleagues and coworkers or managers that you have that are like, Ooh, they needed to hear this. <laughs> We've been talking about this in the office and we like, we know that this is an issue or mm-hmm. we've been talking about this and haven't found a solution. Please share this episode with them so that they can, they can meet Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a really good way to start the conversation. If you know someone who, who in leadership um, and someone who is just a colleague and they need to take better care of themselves or set better boundaries, or if you're like, you know, I wish my company would do what you guys are talking about. Just share it with them. Hey, I listened to this podcast. I just thought you would find it really helpful. You don't need to say because the current program sucks or because I'm not happy. Just say, hey, I think you might really like this. You know, right? It's a really, really easy. I don't think you're taking care of yourself. No, (laughs) no. This is a very tired. Oh no. What we're not going to do, right? Please don't say that. (laughs) What we're not going to do is shame people, make them feel guilty. Or tell them things like that right? because we all need to be taking care of ourselves. And that's kind of the point here, right? Is at the top of this, Sarah made it very clear. This is a Mm non-negotiable and a lot of us treat it as negotiable. Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with that, but sometimes we need a little Sarah push in the right direction to remind us to advocate for ourselves and to take care of ourselves. Yeah. And that is a very loving act, a very loving push. I think that's really the, like the best way I have found to share things with people is like, I'm literally just like, Hey, I think you might really like this. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to, you don't have to explain yourself. Exactly. <laughs> just saying like, I listened to this. I found it helpful and I care about you. I want to share it with you too. And then they get to listen to it and they get to take what they want from it. Exactly. And yeah. then they can, you know, subscribe and leave a review and all those things and Yay. listen to the podcast on a regular basis. Like keep coming back. <laughs> exactly. All right. I Thank you it. so much, Sarah. Yes, so of helpful. course. Awesome. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to the UX hustle podcast to continue these conversations. You can follow us on Instagram at the UX hustle or join our Slack community through the link in our show notes. If you love this episode, please write a review and subscribe.